Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 419 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. 409? Okay. Don't know why I'm freaking out about that number. Just suddenly struck me. Hello. How are we all doing? It's a bit cold, at least the time we're releasing this episode. Maybe you listen to in the future when it's nice and warm, because this podcast is evergreen. In this episode, I chat to Matt Mayer and Brent Calhoun of Hiding Spot Games about the design and development of their story-branching narrative-driven adventure game, Beacon Pines. I discovered this game at the Seattle Indie Expo in the summer to Scotland in 2022. August 2012, early September 2022. It's when I walked into that, that sort of hotel kind of conference room area space that they have they always hire it out every year at the same time as PAX PAX West and I always trot along make sure make a special effort to pop along there and I always discover at least one gem the regular listeners will know that I often cite Slay the Spire as one of my personal discoveries everyone else figured it out but I saw it ages ago one of those hipster people going oh it's so yesterday no no, not going to do that. But Beacon Pines is a game that I was immediately drawn to. Beautiful art, wonderful story, wonderful characters, people you could care about, relate to. Oozed empathy. I love that in video games. So rarely seen, at least seen enough. And Matt and I delve into this and how the creation of Beacon Pines came about. And how it was anchored around a concept of making choices and then, well, suffering the consequences or indeed enjoying the consequences of those choices. 
which is exactly what Beacon Pines is about. It's, it's, it's built around a concept that you make a choice, you pursue it, you go down a path, and you might lead to a place you don't want it to be, and you just rewind and do another choice based on the things you've learnt from that choice previously. It's, it's an amazing, amazing game. Beautiful game. It's, on the, it's available for Xbox and, 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 and PC, I believe, uh, under Game Pass right now at the time of releasing the show. Um, maybe by the time you listen to this, it's left Game Pass. And for that time, I'm sorry. But um, at the moment, it definitely is. And Well, this is a long intro, isn't it? Shall we, shall we just let Chris from the past, relatively recent past, talk to, to Matt about Beacon Pines? Let's do that. Chris, please take it away. Matt and Brent. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. We exist. You do <laughs> exist, indeed. Welcome to this fine Thursday evening, at least the time I'm recording it. And when we're... Anyway, uh, <laughs> could you tell us, um, from Matt and Brent, we sort of bounce between you in that order, how do you... Uh, so who are you and what do you do? Matt, tell us, who are you? Explain yourself. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of the head of uh, Hiding Spot Games, the company that made Beacon Pines. Um, did um, we've we've made a couple games, but Beacon Pines is our biggest by far to date. Um, most ambitious. Uh, we had you know a, a much bigger team than usual, but I do the sort of creative directing. Uh, Brent and I co-write. Um, Ilsa, the artist, um, also helps the three of us do design. Um, so even though we each have specific roles, in, in some ways we also all do a lot of different things um as is usual with indie games um so yeah I, I program i do music i do the sound effects um did the animation and various other things those are probably the, the big ones okay brent what do you distract yourself with uh, so i uh mostly um spend uh, probably most time on this game spent sort of writing and thinking about and especially with beacon pines writing is also thinking about sort of the sort of narrative design they're kind of tied into each other uh very tightly in beacon pines about sort of um the design so matt and i we we sit down and have meetings we talk about like where the story needs to go or the game needs to go and then we you know we we write and make it happen uh other than that i give a lot of bad opinions on design and we uh we argue a lot uh is basically uh, i think my role on on the team is just just sort of devil's advocate and argue a lot and um yeah that's 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 basically that's basically how it works it sounds um, like an extremely vital role i like it <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think it's very important indeed uh, yeah, yeah yeah okay so um again matt sprint First, this one, uh, I suspect it would be very different between a pair of you. Maybe not, I don't know. But how do you, how did you make us start making video games? Um, so I worked in a corporate job in Chicago for a while as a programmer and just snapped one day because the traffic was so bad and I'd been doing that for like five years. A, a drive that should have been like 15 minutes was like 45 each way. And so I was spending like an hour and a half every day in traffic which so is you reenacted Office Space, if you're familiar with the film. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, there you go. You got it. I was After... a bit worried about making reference to that film, but I think he's, <laughs> it's not. It's good. It hasn't aged, but there's some lines in that like, oh, boy, that's too close to call. It's too close to call. So you were 
you were the dude. You were doing office space. Okay, with the with the with the handle electrocuted every time you walked into the office, all that stuff. But you just uh, you can land it. You just finally flip the actually flip the desk over, did you or not? Not literally, but I I was luckily <laughs> enough. I and actually liked my coworkers, and the job itself wasn't bad. It was again just sort of being feeling like you're stuck in a rut, and so I. Mm-hmm. It was literally in traffic one day that I just snapped and decided to move. So I moved to Austin without really knowing what I was going to do. Um, and I was at the time when phones were just starting to become smart enough to have like interesting video games on them. So I just said to myself, why don't I make a game for my phone? I don't know. Snake so was pretty good. Making... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, back in the calculator days, too. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Around Snake bit, was... But... I'm sorry. I had to do that. I was, that was rude. But yeah, <laughs> Snake was pretty good. But you're right, 2007, 2008. What a wonderful time of, you know, things. But yeah, carry on. Yeah. Well, so I, ju- I just made a super simple game just to see that I could do it um, for my phone. And then... After that, Brett and I hooked up through a mutual friend um, to make the follow-up game, which was a game called Ephemerid, which also ties into how I got into games, which is I've, I consider myself a, a music person first. I've been playing and writing music since I was a kid, and I always thought it would be really cool. That's another reason I moved to Austin. It's a big music city. It would be really cool to make music for games. Um, and so this was an opportunity to make music for games by making a game sort of shoving myself into the equation forcefully. <laughs> if I make the game, then I can put my music in it. And so Brent and I made a game called Ephemerid together, which is basically an album's worth of music with a game wrapped around it. Um, it seemed like a good time to hand over to Brent or his Oh, yeah, sure. History. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was um, living in Austin when Matt moved, and we had a mutual friend who sort of put us together. And um, it really is a situation and with ephemerid and in general where like he matt has you know the the programming abilities but he like properly spent his youth like you know having uh you know uh like going to school and spending time on things wherein i had more of a misspent youth uh playing video games and just doing things so um it really was uh a situation where like one of the ways i could help is just a, a knowledge sort of 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 games, of, of things that have been done, how problems have been solved um, in various sort of games and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, that's how we started sort of working together on Ephemerid was sort of just me um, doing everything I can to sort of glom on to somebody who uh, has actual programming skills. Um, and uh, yeah, Ephemerid was a very interesting game. Uh, it's a game that, that I think we're both really proud of that uh you know won some awards and had a lot of some some critical success but uh was uh n- not, <laughs> not a exactly. failure financially <laughs> i mean that's 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 a good way of putting it would be utter failure i think and was it uh, was it did you say it was on the phone forgive me i think i oh, know even yeah. worse it was on ipad only it was primarily iPad. an ipad game right. it exists on steam now it's not the yeah the best oh, good. that's one next well, that's my next question because i do the problem yeah. is that no game suffered the the ipad the iOS apocalypse, I think it's called, when the yep. 64-bit happened. And, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. even Hello Games went back and did redid all their games to make, because, you know, the, the No Man's Sky people, they, were, they did the... Um, God, I've forgotten its name now. But anyway, they did all those those that games. Joe Danger? Yeah, Joe um, Danger games. That's it. Yeah. They actually went back. It was about a year ago, I think it was. They just went back and went, okay, you can have them back. Stop asking about these. And, uh, yeah. and it was... Uh, yeah, but uh, it's great to hear that it is available on Steam then. 
yeah, uh, it's a, and on that one, I actually like did the art on that one. It's all, uh, the game, the art on Ephemerate is all paper craft. So it was me oh, with scissors nice. cutting out, cutting out little bits of paper. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that game was very interesting. And then from there, like Matt was like, oh, I need to think about how to make games that actually, um, will, will make money and make a business out of it. And just... <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, it was a lot of, both spending savings and doing contract work during ephemerid so it was it's not it sounds glamorous when you think about it like i'm gonna make a game at night and work during the day but it's 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 you lose all motivation by the end of the day and it's it's hard yeah, to do both also, of those things it's also dangerous quite frankly so it to be so yeah dramatic, but it is it does shorten yeah. one's yeah. lifespan um Probably hasn't, but you know, don't do it for prolonged periods because you will start. You start to see things, see things that ought not be. Like, what's that? Oh, it's not real, is it? Are you absolutely sure? Yes, the giant bunny wearing a blue bowler hat isn't real. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, for a little bit, the voices actually help with the game design. They, they do. Can, if, you they listen, do. if you listen to the voices, they can tell you what to do. But yeah, yeah eventually, it all sort of falls apart. Those voices are making some good points. They yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's never gotten anyone into trouble. So nope. did, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's move swiftly on before we have a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. um, now, this question you can either answer individually or as a collective, which is, you know, as, as in hiding spot mm-hmm. games, right? Um, as creators, what are your biggest influences? Ooh. Yeah, for me, it sort of piggybacks off of what I just said with um, music stuff. I It is sort of my first love, so I want every game I have, every game I make to have good music. So I, I focus on that um, probably a lot more than most games might um, because it's such a passion for me. Um, so influences are a lot of musical stuff, but at the same time, other games with really good music also come to mind like journey when we were making ephemera that was one of our big influences um that came company stuff is really really inspirational just the way they can make something you wouldn't expect to be a game be a wonderful experience um sort of sneak their way into into video games in an indirect route yeah i think the way that they specifically um that game company like they um tie sort of emotion and emotional involvement into actual gameplay loops uh i think is really really inspiring and something that i think both of us really really respect um is that 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 idea of just pushing interesting because I, I, I think that's the thing that is interesting about games right is that um i think games are like the thing that separates them the way i think about it is like the main primary thing that games do as a medium that really can't happen in other mediums is it can make the player feel responsible for something like the thing that's happening. There's a, there's a, there's a feeling that there, there's an attachment there, a connection that you are directly responsible for what's happening in sort of um, either, uh, you know, in games that are narrative based in a larger narrative or even in sort of the sort of emergent narratives that happen. And even in something like Tetris or whatever, um, and so, yeah, that's that's something I think in general um, that I think about a lot when I'm thinking about like, because, uh, you know, like Beacon Pines is a game that, you know, tells a story and as a storybook. And uh, in a way, like, 
I, I really tried very hard. And I think Matt was also cognizant of this, like not doing something that could, you know, that could just be a book or a movie, like, like that it, this could just exist in another medium. Like, how does this, you know, have to be uh, a game? Like, why does this ha have to happen? And so, yeah, like it's, it's about really like the thing that I think, yeah, we want to focus on is like connecting emotion directly in. Um, and for Beacon Pines, other like uh, inspirations, I think the Life is Strange, uh, specifically like the first one, but that whole series um, does some really neat mechanical things, um, tying the mechanics into both, you know, the moments and sort of the overall themes of the game. Um, and, you know, in, in Beacon Pines, it's very much a coming of age story. And so it's like it's a game about like dealing with changes. And so you push the mechanic of like, this is how you know you as a player are able to change things and affect change in the story i think that was like the original like germ of at least like when we started thinking about the story um certainly i did that feel worked. that it's something i often say to people but then again this is my age showing when i say this is there's very few certain things in life but change is one of them it's gonna happen yeah. But, yeah. but from the perspective of the main protagonist in Beacon Pines, which we'll delve into in the second half of the show, changes are not dealt with as a something that's guaranteed is going to happen because they've only been on this universe for a very short period of time relative to myself, whose experience changed a lot and going, okay, well, just, just you know, adapt. That's what mm -hmm. you do to adapt and survive or, or not. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying survive, but thrive, I like to think. But once you embrace that, I mean, I always say that to wherever I live or, or do, it's like, well, this is only transient. It's always temporary. It's, it sounds a bit odd, but once you reach a certain point in life, you realise that once you accept that, things get a little bit, just a little bit easier. That's my personal bit of advice. But also going back to the score stuff, um, Matt, and <laughs> your music influence. Uh, Kane and Rince, we have a podcast called Sound of Play, where we celebrate scores in, in, in video games. Um, and, you know, sadly we had to park it because of copyright, increasing problems with copyright issues. It became yeah. so problematic. But um, it's certainly something we recognise. I do think score can be up to 70 80% of the experience, depending on the game. And also, okay. uh, Brent, going on to your consequences thing, my immediate thought is, because I'm a big driving game fan, mm. So I love Art of Rally. We've had them on the show, a Canadian developer. And uh, that game, that that is all consequences. Oh, you see that corner far on the horizon? Are you slowing down yet? No. Well, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> you exactly. Yeah. You're going to go off the track. And uh, it is something he deliberately designed it to be that way. Like, yeah, you can relax and chill out, but please... Bear in mind, you're driving a car, a very fast and very heavy <laughs> and very spinny car that's probably going to get, please, good, good job. Exactly. So, no, really good stuff. Thank you for that. It is. I've had yeah. many guests who just stumped because they may not have been <laughs> asked that question before. They think, well, I don't know, the universe? That's good. We're all with it. <laughs> could, we, could we be a little bit more specific? Everything. <laughs> Everything. Just all of it. All of it. So, next question. Again, Matt, Brent, Will, back mm -hmm. between you. Matt, what video game developer do you admire most and why? So, yeah, I've sort of jumped the gun on that one. Um, did that game yeah. company is, is, is probably a standout for me for the reasons we've already mentioned, but also because, 
what I alluded to, their music in that in those games is such a big part of the the experience. Austin Wintry, the composer that did the Journey stuff. Yeah. Um, I just remember that that game came out during when we were making Ephemera and, and just being so blown away when I was playing it just by how it just felt to be in that world. And um, I would say a tweak on what you were saying, Brent, about consequences or, mm-hmm. or being responsible for it. Yeah. I would say what I gleaned from that game company is the idea of being involved with it. Maybe not exactly yeah. responsible for everything that's happening. You're sort of going on a journey. You're mm-hmm. uh, you're involved in it. You're a part of it, um, which <laughs> almost feels nicer, especially for a game like that. You don't always want to feel like you're completely responsible for everything that's happening. You want to feel like you're a part of something really great. Um, and that's definitely what Journey did for me. And we reflected that a lot in the game. If remember, there's no fail states. Um, you're playing through this album of music that's wrapped around some really simple gameplay stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, I hate to reuse something I just said, but that game company is definitely my biggest influence in terms of just really deep down how I think about games. Um, it's uh, often They often come up and knowing the tortured experience people had making that particular game, journey that is, it was a journey. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. everyone. But uh, sadly, because no one believed what they were making. No one thought this is a terrible. You write it down like, no one, no one's going to play this. this is... <laughs> yeah. why, why a person anyone... without hands walks yeah. through the sand from walks one place to, to another. <laughs> yeah. And you also have other people coming in. You can chirp. Yeah. Yeah. Have yeah. you played multiplayer games recently? I mean, yeah, this, none of this is going to work. No. And lo and behold, 12, 10. I mean, it's celebrated as one of the greatest video games ever made. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a testament to how video games can be so much just about the feeling of it. Yeah. The feeling of being in that place, this really beautiful world with this really beautiful music and just sliding around some sand in that place. Yeah, serene. That's the word that yeah. immediately springs to mind. Absolutely, yeah. Um, what about you, Brent? What, what's, uh, what are the uh, people one, you again, that? Yeah. I already mentioned uh, Don't Nod uh, with uh, Life is Strange. One of the things I really like about that, and just in general, I love when a game um, takes uh, a sort of human behavior, like a behavior of somebody normally has when they play a game, and pushes that behavior into the mechanics of the game. So, like, in Life is Strange, the ability to just, like, rewind and go back, like a player would in a game like that, just, like, save scum or whatever, and and jump back to a previous point or whatever and still have that meta knowledge of what happened and make decisions moving forward in the game. Pushing that mechanic into the gameplay that a person's used to doing. And then the way they play with that, where they take that ability away from you uh, later um, in certain points. Uh, Like, it's just a really fun way of sort of messing around with... uh, just messing around with with expectation and messing around with how how things work. Um, the other one that's kind of odd, uh, but I find myself playing games that are very different than the games I work on usually, um, is uh, Valve and specifically the Dota 2 team, like Dota. Uh, and what I like about that game and the thing that that game is so good at doing, one, it's just stacking mechanics on mechanics in very interesting ways and creating emergent gameplay that I find endlessly fascinating. Um, but two, it's that, um, Dota is very good at creating like a flow state. Um, also like portal does this, um, where like you get into these flow states in those games that I love, I love games that can really pull you into those sort of heightened altered sort of states where you get completely pulled into, 
um, the gameplay completely pulled into what's happening, um, which again is like a really good like way to sort of manipulate the player at the end of the day. Because once you get somebody in that flow state and you sort of have them, uh, you can do all sorts of fun things to them. Um, and so I I kind of look and think about how they do that sort of that sort of stuff. Fantastic, yeah. Um, I, 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 not often that MOBAs are mentioned these days, actually, on the show. So thank you for that, because I find yeah. it fascinating. It's something I regularly explain to people when I first played a MOBA. I don't even remember which one it was. It might have been League, probably was, um, mm. rather than the original. It wasn't the original Dota because I was, I was too engrossed in WoW when that kicked off. Sorry, um, but um, and, well, I'm not apologise. Anyway, well, that's right. I mentioned well, take a drink, everyone. Um, so, but it's for me. It's the fact that you're not the centre of the universe in that game. That's true. Yeah, you are yeah. reliant entirely on your colleagues, your fellow players. I mean, screaming. We said top, did we? Who said yeah. top? Well, it's too late now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it's just another it's wonderful. Uh, I think it's wonderful. Another so. lesson I have taken from MOBAs, uh, and this that I've applied to game design, and when we have discussions, is that uh, any plan, even a bad plan that everyone agrees to, is often better than arguing. Than arguing, just, than none at all. Yeah, just, absolutely. Just, yeah. As long as, as long as everybody, even if it's a bad idea, if everybody goes along with you, it, at uh, least it is to some, you know, it's something. Thing. At least you'll know it was wrong, and you'll you can yeah. back out of the team and decide, and you won't have that one person. Just, dragging just make along. a cheese flavored custard. Yeah, totally do that. What? No, just try, and everybody try. tastes it and realizes it, it, this is a terrible this idea. Is, this this is, is a terrible on. idea. Apart from mm-hmm. the Canadian, sorry. <laughs> anyway, oh, I said that Pon- poutine. That was it. That's what I'm making reference to. But yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it's a, that's really sort of, um, great answers there. And uh, uh, yeah, we, we've got a lot to thank for for those people. And uh, it's without a lot of those inputs from those people, uh, a lot of games wouldn't exist now. I think so. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah. The last last question of the first half. Here we go. You made it. Huh, maybe last, not last, quite yet. Not this, this, this last hurdle it's all right you'd be fine deep breaths now mm. but we are a video game podcast and almost legally obliged to ask this question of our guests so here it is now matt we were talking about that in the virtual green room beforehand so here we go what are you playing right now or alternatively if it's easy for you probably will be what are you planning to play <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I've got a lot of built-up games that I plan to play um, now that I have more time. Um, but, yeah, probably, I mean, Brent and I have probably played Dota the most in our lives. We've played a decent amount together, but I've I've got a real dry streak in the past two years of not playing any games. <laughs> but it's really, it's really just indie games now that interest me um, and games that are similar to the ones that I'm making. So, like, right now, Lost in Play is another game that's, in the in at least an adjacent genre to Beacon Pines, so I'm really excited to play that. It's got amazing reviews on Steam, so um, and it looks really like amazing. The animation is beautiful, and I feel like I, I'll like it a lot. So I'm excited to play that one. Okay. What about you, Brent? What are you distracting yourself with? Um, recently, uh, one yes, I've, I've I now have time to play more Dota recently, which is nice. Um, but also, uh, uh, Solasta, uh, Crown of the Magister, which is a um, 
game that uses uh dungeons and dragon rules it's a sort of yes it's fifth tactic. edition isn't it yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a fifth edition it's it's modified here and there but uh yeah that one is just a really great like it's been a while since i've been able to play a game that like you know is um patient like you know and, and it is patient with me and i have the time to, to 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 reward that patience where you sit down and you're like i'm gonna play this game for dozens of hours and sort of really sort of move through this sort of thing i think they do a very good job of having sort of a very um I mean, this is going to sound almost uh like a bad thing but it's not like it's a very stereotypical D plot you know it's a very stereotypical like there are these evil invading horde of things and we find this artifact and we have to go to these eight places to do the thing it's like but it's it's like it's just like just putting on like a nice warm blanket and and sitting down and just you know throwing some fireballs at some goblins um that has uh been really nice it's really nice playing that i'm very familiar with this edition dnd and uh seeing the spells and abilities and like yeah that's that's totally op but it doesn't matter it's fine Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. that's one of, one of my favorite things to do in a game like that. Is I love breaking a game. I love <laughs> getting in, getting in there, um, right. and just it's all the way back to like Final Fantasy Tactics with like dragoons and calculators. Yes, yeah. just breaking the game wide open, just completely <laughs> destroying the guts of the thing, uh, is something I uh, really enjoy doing. Yeah, yeah, just building the most overpowered stuff. You get the uh, rogue yeah. in there, you know, disengage, hide. Oh look! Oh, he's yeah. killed everything. How is this fair? Just it's go uh, with it. Rogues, rogues, man, they're the worst. Rogues, they're the worst. Uh, yeah, <laughs> almost as bad as monks. Almost. Anyway, ah, uh, stunning strike. <laughs> uh, I'm a DM, so like, whenever a player goes, "I want to be a monk," I just want to lean over the <laughs> screen and going, "No, no, you don't." Here's, here's the trick: just yeah, flying, flying enemies. Make yeah. all your enemies fly. Yes, and just fly. Just there. Just, what are you doing? Like, you gonna throw a dart? Huh? You gonna throw huh? a dart? Huh? No. Huh? Oh look, look! It's just landing on your face and starting to chew it or chew it off. Doing something yep. about that. Anyway, you're right. Oh. You're right. You're right. <laughs> anyway, it's good to know there's a fellow, fellow, fellow sufferer. We do it for love, though, right? Don't we? Totally. But, <laughs> yep. um, yeah, I'm currently running the Icewind Dale uh, adventure, which is a quite value for money. For that, it's amazing. Yeah, that one's really. I haven't tried that one. It's that one's really open ended, right? Like very, kind of very open. Yeah, um, that's probably the main thing that Matt and I have done with our more free time now is we just started. I'm DMing a Curse of Strahd campaign that he's. Oh in. yes, we're running Strahd. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I'm doing that, okay, and that um, I'm also doing the Enemy Within campaign, a Warhammer Fantasy role play. Oh, interesting. Is, which is a very different game. Yeah, um, I've never really dug in the Warhammer that much. No, I, it's, I don't uh, know much of that world. Yeah, the best way I can describe the game different to D&D, and this is relevant to the show, actually, is um, in Dungeons & Dragons, when players encounter a troll, they just mm-hmm. go straight in and start hitting and just start weighing, you know, wading in and taking it out. In in Warhammer, you run away as far as you can and then t- tell one of the authorities, maybe, it's probably a good <laughs> idea, because yeah. you, you're going to die. Because in, in Warhammer, you can actually lose, the players can actually lose limbs. Actually, lose a limb, and then they, they're stuck with yeah. it, or they get they get like a lasting injury that goes on for many sessions. Like oh, I'm still limping. Oh, fuck. 
How yeah. long has it it's been? Three weeks. I know, but he hit me really hard. So, <laughs> yeah, it really hurt. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I tell people. Just don't, don't. This is not. I mean, the most powerful character in the in the group I'm running is the lawyer. <laughs> yeah, just, sure. Yeah, he just basically says, "We do have a permit for that." Like, no. anyway. <laughs> so, end of that. Great stuff. Really good. For, great to hear you back in back in the saddle of things, and uh, he he are both very relaxed. So let us move on to the second half of the show, where we'll be delving deep into Beacon Pines. First question. Regular listeners will know isn't really a question, a request. For before we can talk about beacon binds, we need to know what it is. So either of you, give it a shot. Tell us what is beacon pines. Go for it, Matt. Okay, it's a, um, a story a story based on a mysterious book where you play both the reader and the main character, Luca. Um, so there's sort of two levels to it where you're reading the book with um, the narrator character, which is this whole meta character of its own. And then you zoom into the book and play the story within it as Luca, the main character, and all his friends and the town folks in Beacon Pines. And there's a lot of mysterious things going on. And it's mostly about figuring out what's happening through the game mechanic of finding words on what we call charms. So you get a charm with a single word on it, and they're sort of collectible decisions that you can make in the story. So when you zoom back out into the book, you'll be presented with another thing that we call a turning point, which is just a Mad Lib sentence, basically. It's, but in our case, a completely pivotal moment in the story will have a word missing. And so while you're in the book exploring, you've found words. When you zoom out back out to the book to these pivotal turning points, you can use those words to completely branch off the story in a different direction. And one of our conceits there was that, except for the very first one where we're sort of tutorializing it, all these turning points do in fact completely change the story. If you go back and play a different word, you'll not really see anything repeated. Um, everything sort of changes from that point on. Indeed. It's, again, 
show my age here, but I was a, as a teenager, there wasn't one at the time, all the books were in Latin, but outside of that, um, they I used to play uh, choose your own adventure games. So they were called fighting fantasy, which you can play now actually on iPad and stuff. And it was very much, you know, do you want to go left or right? If you go left, go to paragraph 23. If you go right, go to paragraph four. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you know that if apparently you went, I've oh, been there before. And like, oh, a big thing busted your head off when you're dead. Uh, and, you know, that, 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 those, those books or stroke games, because you actually had a character sheet in the front and you had to roll dice and have combat <laughs> and stuff. It was all very a role-playing game in a book. And uh, it's, it's fantastic. But it's in the early 80s, so it's really embryonic stuff. And like I said, they've reinvented them now because people are still, they, they came back about 10 years ago on iPad, obvious platform for them. Um, <laughs> and just in, in some aspects, it reminds me of what Beacon Pines does. It doesn't punish the player for going back and making another choice. Whereas those other books I just described do, in fact, they discourage it. And, but it's well known that the the five finger holding of those books because you're just like, well, if uh-huh. I go that, and like, oh, okay, okay, I'll just so it's basically like an analog version of saving or scum saving. Um, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, whereas Beacon Pie said, no, no, I'm not going to punish you for exploring a pr- branch that you probably know is going to end poorly or in, in a certain way. Let's just embrace this and it's how ch- our choice and indeed change are intertwined and create this, this 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 story or adventure that really anchors itself around two things I found. Interaction with the world and the people in it and making those choices based on the information you, you glean and experiences and skills you learn and things you learn about the world you're in from the other people and, and then and then following through on those choices. This, that, that's the, how I interpret it. I hope it's... Yeah, that's pretty good. We, we a lot of times internally talk about it as a Metroidvania. We don't talk about that with too many people in public because it can confuse matters. But what we mean by it is it's a sort of a storybook adventure game take on a Metroidvania where you're exploring the branches much of the story much as you would the rooms in a Metroidvania. And as you do that, you get more... Uh, ability to go um, back to other branches or other places early in the story that you didn't have access to. Mm. So you're unlocking more rooms in the Metroidvania sense um, by exploring different branches. And so you might have passed the turning point in Beacon Pines uh, long ago that you can then go back to because you've seen some very specific information or gotten a very specific charm. And now it, it opens up this whole new branch of the story to you. Exactly. Yeah. So my first design question then. Here we go. Is this a core? I'm going to use the word MacGuffin. I don't think it's the right word, but let's just go with it. <laughs> the core tool that you use to communicate to the player is the book. I call it the book. Yeah. And it's unlike It Takes Two, which the book was. Some people found him annoying. I thought he was quite funny, but anyway, he's not. <laughs> the, the book, this, the book in Beacon Pines is not. Does have a sentience. It is self-aware, and talks about itself in the third person sometimes. How it's like I have a flair for the dramatic. I love that line. It's such a whenever one says that, you know, 
you have no idea how much. <laughs> you, you're self-aware to a point, but yes, you really do have a flair for the dramatic. <laughs> Just saying yep. that is describing, <laughs> showing how much of a flair for the dramatic you have. Indeed, yeah. it's just like yeah, you've already labelled that. But how have you found introducing that to the player? Because I got the impression that I think you might have had to refine that because it could have been really blunt and obnoxious mm -hmm. no offense but you could have got you didn't do it the wrong way but it could have been really patronizing and heavy-handed how have you found developing that aspect of beacon pines well there was a lot of um yeah there was a whole lot of thought and design that went into that our whole team talked a lot about it and even kirsten the the voiceover actress for the narrator um played a big role in how we evolved the character of the narrator um mm -hmm. which yeah to be totally honest early on we did sort of have in our head a much more snarky narrator which might have been kind of grating but kirsten has such a welcoming and warm voice we pretty quickly recognized that that was something that we could leverage um especially in the early parts of the game where we're trying to welcome the player into the story and teach them certain things about how the game works about how the book works um, and then that brings along with it the nice side effect of we can actually have a character arc for the narrator because you see this sweet welcoming side early but then you start to see not necessarily cracks in the personality but some more depth to the narrator character as the story goes and you even get a bit of a full arc for this meta narrator character by the end of the game yeah, yeah. I think the tone um, was very much more Pratchett than Adams, if yeah. I may. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. It's, we are both, we are both very we're big much, Adams fans. Matt and I so. are both very much like very. <laughs> which is why, which is why I said Adams. we early on had a much more sarcastic, yeah. snarky narrator. Which Sketchy puts a lot of people off from his writing, which is, I find when I'm introducing people to genre comedy film stuff. I say we want to go for Pratchett first because he's more gentle and more empathetic than Adams is. But yes, Brett, you were about to say. Oh yeah, just two two things about the narrator. One from like a, a sort of design point of view. One thing that I think we figured out that's kind of antithetical or kind of um, kind of uh, counterintuitive is if you want the narrator to feel the way that we had of making the narrator feel not too intrusive was actually having them speak up more often, not less often. I think this actually is one of the things in it takes two that made some people um, react sort of negatively to that book is that the game has a flow state and because it's a co-op game, it's like the shared flow state that you have between two people. And I think that was, I think it was spaced too far apart when in that book interjected and the book just feels like an unwelcome visitor yeah um and in in the game and in the narrative it is supposed to feel that way but it also felt that way in like a like a like a new ludo narrative sense of like it's been so long since you haven't been here it's like jarring to hear the, to have this thing come back in and impose its will on the story and so um having the narrator have these interjections along the way so you don't forget that they exist um, I think was really important to making it all work. And um, the other thing, and the reason why I think Kirsten is amazing, uh, her work is amazing as a narrator and is a huge part of why the game works, is that the what's happening in Beacon Pines, the plot and the story and the things, um, 
it's quite fanciful. It's quite bonkers sometimes the things that sort of happen and what's what's going on. Um, and one of the things that I think makes the story work is that it keeps um, a sincerity to it. Like there's the story is at its heart very sincere, and having having her having that narrator voice come in and just be like just very sincere, very very straightforward um like emotionally honest um i think grounds the game and it's this it's this through line it's it's the clothesline that we sort of hang everything else off of 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 this narrator of this constant through the whole story that i think um really we were really able to sort of leverage which allowed us to go wild um in sort of the story and what happened and take um i mean they felt like to us big sort of narrative swings um, because we had this like home base that we could constantly bring people back to to sort of reset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's knowing that and re- recognizing that it's a it's a rare skill because it's the <laughs> soft stuff. It's a nuance. It's this what's not said is more important, and the the breaths and the t- the cadence and the, and everything is probably mm-hmm. just as important as the actual words being said as well. And you're right. Um, so, next question might be for brent actually but we'll see there's a strong emphasis on characters not just the player character mm-hmm. and their interrelationships with each other again not just with the player character in fact often the player character has no relationship at all with these people but they have very very intertwined and very important relationships with others oh boy do they and um how have you managed to maintain such an extraordinary level of detail to everyone you encounter. Because mm. that's the thing that struck me about Beacon Pines against many, many other adventure games of similar ilk. You know, we all know Num Num Monkey Island Stan. I mean, he became this cult because of his bloody jacket and he's become this thing. But uh-huh. there's many other characters in those adventure games that were just barely had a line or two and you had no you know that was it. Whereas in Beacon Pines, everyone, pretty much everyone you talk to, has some link. It's like you know, six degrees of you know separation from someone. It's, it's all in there. It's all extraordinarily baked in, and I'm just marveling at the level of detail that you've thrown at this. How did yeah. you maintain that? What was the regime did you put into place to make sure that you did that? Because you obviously must have started on that level. Knowing without knowing that, oh my God, we have to do this for everything. Have you found to do what have you done to maintain that regime? Um, I think, first of all, uh, the fact that Matt and I co wrote this really helped. Um, it it helped having two sets of eyes on all of these characters and on all of these things. We used um, a couple of different sort of mind maps. We had one that mapped out like the story and all of the branches, but we had another mind map that was just characters and character relationships. And the rule was like, whenever we add a character in, they need to have relationships with just more than one person. They need to be justified in being there. So like sort of laying those out and being like, okay, how is this person attached to this person? How is this person? We need another attachment. And so we're trying to get that right. Both Matt and I both grew up um, sort of in, I think sort of different, but similar sort of small town vibes. I grew up in a a small town. Matt grew up in a very idyllic sort of suburb. Um, And that feeling of sort of community and of, of knowing people and of sort of the connections between people, I think is something we carried with us. 
Um, but then the other some characters that their relationship is to the town more than other people, and that's just as important as how they relate to the town itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we'd lay them out, we would we would think about that as well. And uh, the other rule that I would have is whenever I was writing a side character, like I my rule was to treat them as a main character. Like, what is their story? What if this was if this was a story about this person and they were the main character of the story? How 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 would they relate and connect to things? Um, and that's something I think that both of us really tried to sort of push in. It's definitely something that was always front of my mind was like, you know, I, I want to give all of these characters moments. I want to, you to see how, like to be able to almost imagine how this person could be the main character of a story uh, of this narrative. If we just saw it from a different perspective. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think putting those things together is kind of how we are able to sort of form everything out. And it was just a very iterative process, honestly, like, um, with the writing, we, we spent a lot of time on the writing of this game, um, sort of iterating and looking at things, both from a sort of a macro and a micro point of view to sort of lay everything out the way we wanted it to be. It just makes yeah, the game a- so three dimensional. Sorry, Matt, but it's just, that's what struck me. I had amount of times I had to put down the controller and just marvel at the layers <laughs> and level of detail and go, <laughs> why does that person even say that or even know that person? What is that? How is this helping me? That's not the point. It's not the point. The game's not orbiting the character. The world is happening around the character, but it's not orbiting them. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, that's, that, yeah. That, go, that actually goes to what I was going to bring up, which is one of the conscious decisions we made early on, and a lot of games do this, is because you have to identify with the player, uh, the character that you're playing as, you can't take too wide of a stance with them. They have to be someone you can relate to without these really wacky personality traits. So Luca himself isn't the most interesting character by far in the game. He's a little bit sarcastic, which, again, we just can't help ourselves about. But every other character has... We rely on tropes a lot as just touch points and then try and do something a little interesting with with them. So that's a that's sort of our shorthand for developing a lot of the characters is what are some of their key personality traits? And maybe this also ties into... So D&D sort of themes too. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that you could easily latch onto with a character and bounce any sort of given situation off of. How, how would that personality trait respond to the situation? Another really interesting thing about the characters is you sort of alluded to it, Chris, is, is how they um, respond to the situations as it relates to the different branches of the story. Um, we get to do this really fun thing with the writing, which is all these little inside jokes and dramatic irony that relates mm-hmm. to the overarching, not only the overarching plot and mysteries that are going on, but the things that we know the player has seen. Um, people people play the game once and think it's a six hour, give or take an hour game. I like to think you can you can get a lot of value from replaying it because we spent so much time leaving in these little treats for people if they know not only if they've seen a different branch, but if they've played the game to the end, they know all these, they'll, they'll pick up on all these little subtleties that we put in. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it feels like, as again, going back to tabletop RPGs, and for me, when I sort of like introduce an NPC randomly because I've got to get move the story along, and then one of the players go, so what's their name? Like, oh, please don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Where do they live? How many Where do they live? Do they have? Yeah, how kids, yeah. yeah. Do they have any pets? Or like, I'm, yeah. And then I give them the look, and I go, okay, fine. 
<laughs> they're not important. They're not. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. Did I give them a name yeah, from the early... outset? No, I didn't. So, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, we decided very early on that the every character, almost even the side characters more than the main characters, should be interesting. Um, yeah. That's something Coen Brothers always always do. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, the most like, iconic characters in a Coen Brothers movie is often a character that you saw for five minutes. Um, yeah. I really wanted to bring bring that to Beacon Pines with all the characters yeah. because there's a lot of characters that you maybe only have a couple of interactions with, but hopefully stick in your mind. Exactly. Yeah. My next question then is about atmosphere. Mm. And one of the things that struck me is it's back in the 80s and 90s, there was a phenomenon known as dead man walking in adventure games. It may not be a term familiar with you, but it means that you've made a series of decisions unwittingly, knowing that you cannot complete the game, maybe even an hour prior. You'll carry on just walking away, not knowing that you've actually doomed yourself and your character, you could have to go back to an earlier phase. Now, Beacon Pines doesn't suffer from this. Of course it doesn't, because it's modern game design. Dead Man Walking is not a phenomenon that exists anymore, because we learned, thankfully. But it does embrace it a little bit. Because there are branches that can lead to to uh, Luca's demise, and uh, I think it happens quite early on. It took me by surprise. I didn't really wasn't that that really, that introduced very quickly the sense of peril, and there is a sort of like very quickly there is a sense of urgency and peril throughout B Compliant, at least for the most part. 90% yeah. of the experience. Then it becomes vengeance and that kind of stuff. Like, well, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not vengeance. Well, I'm not really giving away anything that, cause it's fairly like there's six stories, everyone, and this is one of them. So, uh, <laughs> but, and that's fine. That's fine. It's, it's, it's well-known phenomena, but um, how have you found maintaining that mm. without leaning in it too hard to the point where it becomes cumbersome or becomes oppressive? What have you done? I mean, you've done a fantastic job of not making it that, but what, how did you manage that, that balance of not just wearing the player down to the point, like, I can't go on, this is just so taut, this is so, you know, if I <laughs> yeah. see another yeah, group yeah, yeah. of clipboards yeah. again, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, how have you found that, like, making sure that you do keep that sense of reward whilst also danger and, you know, there's a lot of magic tricks that we use. Maybe some of them don't always work, but um, the pacing is a big part of it too, how how we space out those events. So one of those magic tricks is just lulling the player. Maybe that's a, a, a the wrong word, but letting them go back into, use Brent's word, the flow state of any given branch. Um, letting them realize that there's interesting things to discover in that branch. And so by that point, they're invested in what's happening and hopefully not constantly thinking about imminent death uh, at any given point <laughs> in the game. But the other part of that was just core of the design, the, the chronicle, the, the mechanic that we introduced very early on as this is actually intentional. This is, you know, you're going you're gonna to fail and failing is a part of actually getting through this game and understanding understanding the mysteries and so that without that it would probably be a incredibly stressful and laborious game to play but it was just a natural part of the game design that actually comes from 
other reasons it originally just with interesting things to do with the charms was why the chronicle first came about but it had all these other side effects of letting us do other interesting things with the story yeah you yeah. you you managed to do dead man walking and get away with it uh-huh. <laughs> it's like yep. it's okay because you yeah, just can go back yeah that's one of the 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 things about like telling a story in this narrative style with these sort of branches is we can really literally have our cake and eat it too and so like showing just how bad something can go showing um like you said like pretty early on showing luca have this like surprising demise yeah. that was really important to like place that into the player's mind um as early as sort of possible of like this is what can happen that these are the stakes like this is the stakes of the scenario um is that this is this is a worst possible thing and then we sort of even heighten those stakes to like endangering not just luca but endangering even more people endangering the entire town and you see how sort of bad that is and we like kind of ramp up those stakes and what you can see about sort of the bad things as we go but like establishing stakes i think early on was 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 super important and this sort of uh you know this sort of narrative style you know design allowed us to do that um and the other yeah, thing I think the narrator was, and as yeah. you said the narrator and kirsten specifically mm. help a lot with that that feeling of yeah comforting you a bit when these horrible things happen and encouraging you to try again like i know it's sort of like again it's this meta character i like to think about it as like a genie in a bottle type figure she's the character has been through a lot of this before as sort of the book and the and the writer has seen this and so knows that there are other options knows that there's a better way and is hopeful sort of on the player's behalf and very encouraging uh, yeah. it's 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 really uh, uh, one of the things that drove me along was just it reminds me of a certain film i'm not going to say it now because it will spoil it we'll talk about it afterwards but uh yeah i think <laughs> it was really really clever how it was yeah. delivered because it, it it visually it portrays something else than what it is and mm-hmm. that really took me took me by surprise speaking of the visuals hey hey not bad. Yeah. Last question, <laughs> which is related to what I call, in a rather glib way maybe, but the overall presentation, and how mm. Beacon Pines is presented to the player. And one of the things that struck me when I first sat down to play it at uh, Seattle Window Games, Indie Games Expo, was how beautiful it really is. It's astonishing, breathtaking. You could just... Every still, every screenshot, that's the thing that most people, when I mention this name, oh, yeah, that's a really pretty game, isn't it? That's what they say. It's like, that's the really, that's really like crafted and artistically, and it, it, they are drawn before you. There's a appear in a, you know, and it's like a, just like in, 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 in an image in a book, as you would turn a page in a children's book, of course. Yes. You know, and like a for yeah. maybe for like for 10 to like, 13 year olds kind of like as you would say you say middle school we would say early secondary school kind of age kind of that kind of age bracket which mm-hmm. is perfect because luca is 12 and yeah. it, it makes sense but alongside that is the score and the mm-hmm. music and the and the, the effects and the voice i have to ask were they developed simultaneously were they feeding into each other was that deliberate was that making sure that you were 
working in harmony rather than placing you know there's recently a, a thing that cropped up about graphics are the last thing you do in video games which is true um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but was there a sense because like they just work so well <laughs> together it feels like they were but am i right in thinking that and if that's the case yeah. how did you yeah. find that well it, it's it was just from the very beginning, just an important part of the development process is having everyone involved. Um, I wanted everyone to feel like this was their game too. So Ilsa was on the project from the very start, the art, the lead artist. And I mean, we, she likes the title lead artist, but she did everything basically. There's a couple of little like logos and stuff she didn't do, but she's not just a lead artist. She did basically every in the game, everything in the <laughs> game is just an amazing accomplishment because as you mentioned there's like all these fully illustrated portraits for so many characters all the environments all the details but she was yeah she was fleshing out it's it's all just very interconnected we have a lot of team meetings the three of us Brent me and Ilsa and talk about how everything interrelates and it feeds into each other there's times when the, the she'll Ilsa will bring a character that she's just sketched out and will have a totally different sense of where to go with it or a totally new idea based on her art. Same thing happens with the environments that she makes. She'll mm -hmm. make a little area of town. It's got a stairway going back there. Now we, we have this idea for what to do back there or this little, she even does, even though she might be tasked with just creating a little zone in town, she'll add little characters like throwing laundry, a boyfriend and girlfriend throwing laundry out of the window, like all these little details that just percolate in our meetings and we start brainstorming based on that. And then, so I, I, I would have to give her art more credit for driving sort of design and story stuff than the music. Um, the music I struggled a lot with. I mean, I, I'm happy with what I came up with in the end, but I have folders and folders and folders of music that I just wasn't happy with that maybe I'll use someday for something, but just didn't quite fit or feel right. It took me a long time to land on sort of the, the feel of the music in the game. Um, it's so a, it's a I, common... can't, I can't get too much credit for that affecting the story as much. I don't think you should did. downplay I really do. I think that you're doing yourself a disservice there. I think you obviously chose right. Um, <laughs> for me anyway, I, I do love music. I even still have a turntable. Again, very old. Kid, kids ask the grandparents. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but sometimes, I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine who's much younger than I is actually going to be buying a turntable for the reason that he wants to make an event. He wants to mm -hmm. make listening to something yeah, rather than just clicking on Spotify and let it do its mm -hmm. thing, picking up, putting it on the turntable and then making sure the arm's balanced. And then you just, and you do have to do that and, and then placing it and then sitting there and just listening to it nothing else and for yeah. me you know um that that's what i that, that's the spirit i got from the score yeah. in beacon pine so thank you for that and yeah. also, <laughs> thank you that's very nice and also yeah. recognize recognize the destructive process something we say a lot on this show and now you can't take a drink on this one it's too profound because the, the creative process is very destructive. The amount of stuff that never makes absolutely, yeah, is probably it's more than this, it but is. it's necessary. Yes. Yeah, and also the phrase, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, it's go not on. just the music, but we we no. went through a lot of art that didn't make it into the game, a lot of story, a lot of ideas. Oh, um, it wasn't yeah. just the music, but yeah, the music is was tricky for me for this one especially. So it's it hurt when I was putting together the album for Bandcamp. 
my God, going through all of the directories that, of stuff I've written, I was like, I like that idea, but it just didn't fit or it didn't find a place in the game. Um, mm -hmm. And about the, the the vinyl stuff, I would love to do a vinyl for it because, yeah, it's it's also sort of sad when I upload it to Spotify, knowing that people aren't going to listen to it mm -hmm. in the way that the album is designed. Like, I took all the music from the game and spent weeks designing, like, an actual proper sound, like, full original soundtrack from it, um, having the songs interconnect in ways that make sense with the story and everything like that. But no one's ever going to listen to it that way. They like certain songs, they'll listen to that song, and they won't listen to them back to back or in the order that they're meant to be listened to yeah <clears throat> and i do listen to soundtracks of video games outer worlds is one i do listen to a lot because well, that's the beauty of a vinyl yeah, is that you're sort yeah. of forced to or at least it encourages yeah. you to. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's there you know and uh but uh placing it on the on the deck is, is quite a thing but uh yeah it's just the nature of things but it, at least you understand the concept of good enough you clearly do uh <laughs> you know otherwise it would never be released you'd never finish it yeah, oh, perfection is your enemy. Yeah, perfection is your enemy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. So, Beacon Points was developed by Hiding Spot Games. I have to ask, because we do ask this of our guests, where on earth did you find that name from? <laughs> <laughs> it was... uh, I sat down with, um, like, literally, I have a notebook somewhere where I was like, I wanted it to have, like, the vibe of, like, a town um, I wanted to take a very town word and a kind of an evoc evocative or interesting word um, and kind of jam them together. Like it's very Twin Peaks, which is another inspiration. Well, the for... name of the game, certainly, but it's the yeah. name of the studio. I was referring about to. Oh, oh, it's about Hiding Spot? Did I just yeah. totally brain explode? You did. Um, <laughs> you did. I do a lot of fun. I lost, you know I mean? I lost yeah. my mind. You did, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, so the name happened. of the, the, the line of, I mean, yes, I do take it. It Yeah, it's it's a lovely lovely name but yeah, hiding no. spot i do love i do love that name where's that come from it was just from the so after ephemerid was a horrible financial failure <laughs> I, I i i started making my next game which was flipping legend with um a wonderful british artist named thomas wetnell and he did all the sort of voxel art in that game and he, and i can't remember if he was a part of creating the name hiding spot but he created the logo of Hiding spot, which is this adorable little. It looks like a, a spot that is hiding from you. It's this like little oh, timid okay. dot in the middle of a circle with bug eyes, um, and it just it's it's always weird coming up with names. It's probably you know related to what Brent was saying about Beacon Pines too. It's uh -huh. it's a struggle to think of names that are match all the criteria of being Googleable and being something that's not used already and being something that's relevant and something that catches people's ears. But indeed. It's just yeah. something and we love to ask in the show because you get some very, oh, yeah. very interesting you know, discussions. Um yeah. but it can be a three AM in a pub like, oh just just go with yellow pig. Fine. Yep. <laughs> go with that. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely some wild game company names out there. Yeah. And uh, what is Beacon Pines available on? What platforms is it running on? It's on a lot of PC platforms, Steam, Epic, Humble, Itch. And then it's on Nintendo Switch and Xbox um, and, and Game Pass as well for Xbox. Yeah, it's, it's on Game Pass, everyone. Hey, yeah. so that's good. And it's, it's Windows PC, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, just when uh in technically also Linux, so it is Steam Deck verified. You can nice. you can yeah, fire, not, you can fire it up on a technically Deck. Linux, but it, a lot of people play it on Linux through yeah, the Steam Deck. Proton or Photon on the yeah. Steam Deck and other ways. So it yeah, will work on Linux. I I do yeah. I am one of those who does own one of those very things. And yeah. uh yeah, I, I did actually bring to me with packs though, because I was playing some Switch games. Was, uh, but um anyway, you know, and it's also it's, it's, the, it's the heavy. Oh boy, are those heavy. <laughs> anyway, um Bat and Brent, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Great. Thank you. Nice uh, to uh, meet you. be on here. Yeah, I hope yeah. you had a good time. You're more than welcome to come back to talk about whatever <laughs> next you've got cooking, whatever that may be. We've had a lot of return guests over the years. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean so far, Roll Seven have the record five times. They're very wow. prolific. Ooh. Yeah, Impressive. they they. Did, yeah, I, um... I hope we're so lucky as to come back once. That would <laughs> that would mean we're doing something right. Indeed, yeah. indeed. But until then, thank you both. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, canerinse.com.